Welcome to this week's episode of Community Connections. Uh, I'm joined today with my co-host, Emily Thomas. Hey guys, I'm Emily. Um, Thank you for listening and I'm glad that you're here and I hope you learn some stuff from our first episode. Yeah, and then uh, Dr. Lana Ryman is our first guest, and uh, she is the medical director of Hospice of Davidson County. But to give you a little bit more of a backstory, she attended medical school at UNC Chapel Hill and completed her residency in family practice and fellowship in rural health. Uh, She's board certified in both family medicine and hospice and palliative care and has been in practice for over 15 years. So uh, first, let me say welcome, um, Dr. Ryman. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for today's episode, I'm just going to introduce sort of why we're even talking about it today. So we are going to talk about uh, the common myths of hospice care. And I think it's appropriate for our first episode because the whole reason that we're starting this is to um, really help people understand who might be facing life-limiting illness or, um, you know, these more type of terminal severe diseases, it might be helpful for them to understand what we are and what we're not. And I think that, um, you know, sort of laying that information out and discussing that uh, is hopefully going to be helpful to everybody. So um, with that, I'll go ahead and let Dr. Ryman sort of introduce um, some of these misconceptions and um, we'll kind of talk about why those are important. Thanks, Cole. Whenever I'm talking to patients and families about hospice, about the possibility of having hospice, one of the first things I do usually talk about is the myths that that some people believe about hospice care, misconceptions that people have about hospice care. And one of the first ones um, that I often encounter is the idea that having hospice means that you have cancer. And, um, and that's, I think, a really important myth, myth to dispel um, because I think that can be a real barrier to people who need hospice having hospice. When you say that, can you kind of expound on exactly um, why is it that it's, most people just think of cancer and why is it maybe that some of the other things aren't, aren't really um, what people think about? I think. Uh, The reason that comes to mind is that when when hospice first became popular in the United States, it was sort of in response to um, cancer and cancer treatment and the sort of deaths that that was causing for people. But hospice has been around for 30 or 40 years or more in the United States. And in all of my 15 years of practicing hospice full time, less than half of patients have had cancer. So when you're looking at hospice patients today, nationwide, less than half of them have cancer, and most of them have other medical problems like Alzheimer's, different types of dementia, heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease. And I think that question kind of leads into another myth, which is that um, a lot of people think that when you elect hospice, that it's kind of like a death sentence, um, and they usually think of cancer patients, you know, that you're right on the edge and that there's some illnesses. And even with cancer that you're not, you can be with us for months or longer. Um, And if you just want to kind of explain a little bit about what makes you eligible for our services. That's right. I think um, the second myth I usually talk about is the idea that um, people often believe that having hospice means that you're going to die tomorrow. 
Right. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because mm-hmm. if you think hospice is only for people that are going to die tomorrow, then you only get hospice when you're going to die tomorrow, right? Um, really, hospice is meant for people to have for months. And it's it's mostly Medicare that makes up those rules because most patients who have hospice are Medicare patients. And Medicare is the one that has has dictated that hospice is for folks who are are likely to die in the next six months. It doesn't mean that I have to be able to swear that somebody's going to die in the next six months, right? Um, but that that as a physician, I have to be able to say that if things continue as they've been going, if things continue as expected, that it's likely that this person would die in the next six months. Um, and And the reason that some people have hospice for years is because um, people are constantly evaluated by that by that metric, right? And so as we go along, we're just constantly evaluating people to say, gosh, if things continue, is it is it still likely in the next six months? You know, so if we get to the end of three months or six months and the person is still doing okay, when I look at them, do I say, Yes, if things continue, it's still likely that in the next six months this person would die. That's what makes people medically appropriate for hospice. Well, and I can imagine as a physician and as a family that 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 six months tag that we just mm-hmm. talked about is a is a difficult one to give and to to take in. It's um, it's very arbitrary <laughs> and very difficult. And and is quite a barrier to hospice services. And I, I think it sort of leads into what I consider to be the third main myth, which to me is usually the idea that having hospice um, shortens your time. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that a lot of people believe that if they opt to have hospice, that they're going to die sooner than they would. And, and, and I think that that takes a couple of forms. I think that belief that idea takes a couple of forms. One is the idea that um, choosing not to have surgery and go to the hospital and have a lot of interventions done would make you die sooner, um, which is not true. Mm-hmm. If if a patient's body is kind of fragile, having those things done can kill them, right? Can make them die fast. So that's not really true. And then the other piece is that if people have hospice, that some of the medications that hospice uses might cause them to die sooner. Um, And that piece is not true as well. I have, I hear a lot um, of people that are afraid of the medications. Um, And as someone who's seen them in use, I know that what people think isn't true, but where do you think that originates from or do you think that it's something they're just trying to find something to attribute it to and that's the the first thing that comes to mind I think I, I think it comes from a couple of places one is just not understanding medications you know any medicine if you take enough of it any medicine can cause you to die right. sooner right um, and so I'm not in any way saying that all medicine is safe at all doses um, but the way that hospice uses medication is safe and doesn't cause people to die sooner. Um, there are studies that show, you know, that people who have the same 
conditions who receive medicine and don't live the same. People who have hospice live the same or longer. People who receive hospice medications live the same or longer than people who don't. So that's all pretty clear. But I think that people um, don't know that, partly just out of misunderstanding about medicine, but also there's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy to it. You know, most people, as they are dying, are uncomfortable. You know, most of us, as we die, will will hurt or feel short of breath or be anxious or all of the above. And so most people get medicine for that particularly morphine or some kind of pain medicine, but also anxiety medicines. And so if you have a family member, if you've seen someone um, who is dying and you've seen them get medicines like that, it could be easy to think that the medicines caused them to die, right? Because so many people need those medicines in the hours to days before they take their last breath. It can be easy to think that what they were given in those hours today is caused their death, right? If you don't see the signs, if you don't know that the person's dying, it can be easy to misunderstand that. When, when we take someone or, or when hospice, um, you know, takes a patient, is the medication one of the things that is most intensely gone over? It just, it, you know, it, like you mentioned, um, it, it kind of plays into some, to some fear and already a very, um, emotional time for a patient and a family, right? So I imagine that that is, is that something that has really gone into heavily when we, when we're first talking um, with, with patients and families? Yeah. So um, education about medication is always a big part of good hospice care. I think part of what's hard is that, especially if people are referred to hospice late, you know, if they don't get to have a lot of time under hospice care, there's so much to take in. You know, and so when people are are in their last weeks or their last days, um, their family is just trying to take that fact in, you know, plus all the other things about how things work and what they need to do and how to care for the person. And so it can be really hard to take in information about things like medicines, but it's absolutely just one of the biggest parts of, of the education that the hospice team, the whole team provides for patients and families. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Dr. Ryman, I appreciate you um, discussing um, some of these myths with us. You know, I, I just one more kind of thing, if I could bring it up to you, is when you talk about, um, you know, these myths and, uh, you know, this podcast is uh, for education, but I think it's also advocating for the community at large. And so if you were to kind of put hospice um, care in the realm of, of what community members really need to know before, um, hopefully in plenty of time, um, before their, their family member gets admitted, what would you say really um, are the is sort of the backbone of what we can provide patients that kind of um, dispels some of these myths that we've been talking about? Yeah, so I think um, I think one of the things people don't realize about hospice is the piece that is education and support, right? It's not just about the physical care of the patient. And anybody who's been in a caregiver role um, or watched somebody else be in a caregiver role, I think, understands um, 
what a resource it is to have somebody you can call 24 hours a day, right? And say you have a service that's going to help a frail person live longer and do better. Um, And you have a service that can be called 24 hours a day to give support to the caregiver, education to the caregiver, answer questions, or find what you need. And so I think that um, that those are the things that I just would always like people to know about hospice. Okay. Okay. Well, I, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on today and I uh, hope everyone listening um, was able to get something out of this. Um, and thank you to Emily Thomas for co-hosting with me today. You'll hear uh, her and I on um, here as we keep um, every other Thursday is when we're going to be putting out our new episode. So, um, you know, please check that out and listen. And as always, I really enjoyed our chat. So again, Thank you for uh, taking the time to listen today. Uh, Please rate, review, subscribe, and uh, check us out anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, You can always contact us if you ever have any ideas or would like to know more about something in the world of hospice or Davidson County. Next week's episode will feature Krista Young. She is a registered nurse, and uh, she's going to discuss the different types of benefits and cons to uh, different types of long-term care. Um, And so I look forward to uh, talking with her, and uh, hopefully you enjoy that as well. (music) 